morning and welcome to Questions of Faith with uh, Father Toby here from London and, uh, and Father Colin, my brother, Dominican in uh, Cambridge, Blackfriars. And a, a very warm welcome to you all on what is certainly a glorious day here in London. Not sure what it's like in Cambridge with you, Father Colin. Uh, yes, it's not quite as hot as it has been, but it, that's very pleasant. Excellent. Uh, blue sky. So. Yeah. So um, we've got some fantastic questions here today, but they're pretty difficult questions. And so I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to start with a prayer. We should always start with a with a prayer. But um, yeah, I need some uh, an- angelic help and, uh, <laughs> and, and infuse knowledge from the Trinity. So we begin by saying glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Holy Archangels, pray for us. Pray for us. St. Bonaventure, pray, pray for, for us. And uh, asking there for the, uh, the intercession of the Archangels reminds me of one of my uh, professors in Rome, who before an exam, would uh, specifically pray that the archangels wouldn't help us in the exam so that he could find out what we knew and not what we knew with the uh, the help of the angelic intercession. Um, but today we can do with some angelic help. Um, so our first question today uh, says, I really like Pope Francis. I love hearing his weekly talks from the Vatican and love how he speaks off the cuff. But sometimes I think he can be a bit harsh and I don't always agree with him. For example, when he said that people are too keen on their dogs, is he always right? Um, which is a great, a great question, and I know a lot, a lot of people sort of have expressed similar, similar thoughts to me. So I might just toss this one over to you, um, first of all, Father Colin, for your initial response. Yes, he, he seems to be someone who is very much an off-the-cuff person and, and if you are the risk is that you'll occasionally say things that are going to be upsetting or even things that you yourself might wish you hadn't said um, but I certainly like his general attitude and his, his uh, uh, concern for the poor concern for the environment and uh, for the joy of the gospel uh, the dogs thing interestingly we talked about whether dogs might go to heaven La- uh, last time i was on this program um with father simon and um uh i think the english are very very fond of their dogs um in a way perhaps uh, i don't know someone who's italian and grew up in argentina um is not you know wouldn't be have the same sort of cultural values but of course he would might also be making a very um, important point that um, we shouldn't be keen on our dogs to the exclusion of um, care for other people. And, and maybe he was thinking the, the amount of money pe- people spend on vets and so forth um, is, is uh, uh, horrendous when you think of the, the terrible, terrible needs of lots of hungry people. I mean, I guess that's the kind of thing he's saying but but it is always going to be very sensitive to to us who who love our dogs 
Um, I haven't had a dog for a long time, but we had one when I was a teenager. <laughs> that is an awful, awful long time ago. Um, Dinah, we had Dinah, and she was so much part of the family that I, I would be upset if someone said, you pay too much attention to Dinah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, maybe he, he has to say, look, um, human beings are the crown of God's creation. Our fellow human beings are suffering. Uh, the whole question of um, whether dogs have, have some kind of a soul and so forth is, is, an, is another question. But um, St. Thomas would certainly say they have some kind of a soul, though not the same as us. Um, and we need to understand that the Pope is uh, wanting to be on the side particularly of the poor uh, and maybe we spend more money than he thinks is reasonable on dogs and so forth. But um, I think I hope he'd also be very positive about the great value of pets. So I think that's what I'd want to say to that. Yeah, but I, um, I, I think so part of the genius of, of Pope Francis in some ways is his ability with a sound bite. But we always have to be a little bit wary of, of soundbite theology. Like we have to go a, li a little bit further. And I think he's very good at getting a, a conversation started. Yes. Um, and I think the general point that that I understand is making about the dogs is, and and if you're in in Rome, you 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 witness this, is that there are an enormous number of young couples who basically have little dogs that they treat like babies. You know, they go around cradling them in their arms and they take them into the restaurants with them and they're feeding them little tidbits from the, the table. And there's way more dogs in Rome than there are, you know, these little sort of babyish dogs than, than there are children. And that's a kind of a real problem. But what we can't do is kind of look at any given couple treating a dog like a little baby and say oh you're a selfish person for having a dog and not and not having not having children because we don't know the particular story or circumstance of that couple but nonetheless i think he does seem to identify a broader trend in society which can be oh well pets are a little bit easier to look after than than children but they provide a lot of the kind of same joy as kids so therefore you know we'll just have these little house dogs and not and not have not have children but we have to be wary about saying of, of any particular couple of, of making a judgment about them and i think the our, our question gets to the broader point a little bit about sort of papal infallibility when when our question is is he always right? Because the reality is, no, the Pope isn't always right. Um, the Pope's uh, sort of infallibility concerns, um, you know, particular defined circum circumstances. And so, you know, if the Pope says that it's going to rain and I don't see a cloud in the sky, I don't have to believe that it's that it's going to that it's going to rain. But I do have to, irrespective of my kind of particular love of this Pope or, or that Pope, I do always have to respect the office of the papacy um, and the seriousness that I have to take um, on any sort of papal, papal pronouncement.
So we'll move on to the uh, to the next question now, which is, I believe Jesus was God and that he died for us and went to heaven. But I struggle with the resurrection as it's described in the Gospels. To get my head around it and to fully accept it, I've come to think of it as a deep spiritual response in the disciples as they grieved and then continued their discipleship after Jesus's death. Is this an okay understanding? If not, can you help me? How can I come to fully believe in the orthodox teaching? Again, that's a, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I would say this understanding isn't, isn't okay though. I, I don't think it's, or, or I, rather I don't think it's not properly within the, the realms of Christian orthodoxy, but it's humanly very understandable how somebody might think that. And if, if the, if Christ does not truly rise from the from the dead this is not truly good news like St Paul is 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 clear is clear about this it's the actual resurrection of the body from the dead Christ resurrected body and soul that is the good news because it means that death has lost its power in the world that the the shackles of death have been broken um and if we if we think about if this is just the spiritual response then what actually does this mean for our afterlife what does it mean for for eternity for us and the reality is that we reduce the resurrection then to something which is just about sentiment and not and not about uh, an, an actual reality but to struggle to to understand the resurrection as it's described in the gospels that's really really Good, because I think that shows a proper engagement with the resurrection as it's described in the Gospels, which is, it's very confusing. Every, uh, every Easter, as we sort of read the resurrection accounts, I find they surprise me year after year. I'm like, wow, this is weird. Um, this is a bit strange. This is hard to get my head around. Um, and this is this is is a good thing. It's to be sort of challenged to to be forced to think a little bit harder, but also to accept that that my human comprehension this side of eternity has some limits, and there are some things that I need to take on faith, which isn't the shutting down of my reason, but rather accepting that there are some things that go beyond my reason. Um, so, with regards to the sort of question on you know, can you help me? I would just say to to think about if Christ hasn't truly risen from the dead, then we cannot truly rise from the from the dead. Only where Christ has gone before us can we follow. And the body is is good. It's part of what the Dominicans were were sort of created to the, defend the goodness of the body and the the goodness of creation. Um, and that and that it's not only the spiritual realm which is good. And so I, I'd say sort of reflect on the on the people that you that you love and and reflect on how if your deepest desires were to come true, will they not be be present 
you know, bodily as well as spiritually to, to you in heaven and pray to, to God for, for an increase um, in faith. And also there are some fantastic sort of apologetic sites out there that you can have a look at. I'd, I'd recommend sort of Catholic Answers or um, Carl Olson has, has written a really good book on, on whether the resurrection truly happened. I don't know if there's anything that, that you'd like to add to that, Father Colin. Well, I completely agree with all you've said. We, we, we do, we are committed really to b belief in a bodily re resurrection. I think it's helpful to think that God is the creator and the miracle, the first miracle is that there is anything at all um, because God, as we say, is, creates out of nothing. So if God can create out of nothing, then he can recreate both us in our rather broken state, but even more uh, actually raise our bodies. If we say that Jesus went to heaven, what um, exactly do we mean? Um, if it was it his body that went to heaven or not? Because we believe in the resurrection of the body, but the first miracle is God actually creates reality, creates a world of bodies out of nothing. And I always use the, a term uh, both for the resurrection of the body and for the sacraments, that it's explosive continuity, that the, uh, the reality of the, the body of Jesus, which was around and about in Galilee and in Judea and Jerusalem and that died on the cross and that was seen by the disciples, um, certainly it's important that they um, internalize that seeing as well, but, but uh, they can't sort of just internalize it without actually having been convinced that this person has uh, physically risen as well. So the, um, the, the power of God to renew and to recreate is as great as his power to create in the first place. And the first great miracle is that there is anything at all. Um, and I think perhaps if we think of that, it helps us a little bit to realize that the resurrection of the body is not a stupid thing to think about. Um, but I, I fully appreciate it. it's very, very difficult. It's perhaps it's difficult because the news is so good that it's hard to believe it really can be true. Yeah, I love uh, I love that phrase, ex explosive continuity. I'm not sure I've, I've heard that before, but I'm I'm definitely going to plagiarize it. Yes, you're very welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank, thank, thank you for that. Um, I think it might now be a, a good time for a for a for a music break, and I believe Elizabeth in the studio has has found us a a, a piece of music dealing with the the resurrection. So a bit of explosive continuity there. <laughs> thank you. Baby. 
You're listening to Questions of Faith with uh, Father Colin Carr in Cambridge and Father Toby here in London. And our our next question is an important and and good one, but uh, I just wish to uh, warn listeners before that it it concerns the sort of delicate subject matter of abortion and and some issues uh, around that. So um, particularly if you're you're listening with... um, you know, your, your children or, or other younger listeners, you might wish to uh, consider whether to just sort of tune back in, in in 10 minutes. I think it's a good conversation to have with, with children, but, but you as adults want to sort of control the, the nature of that and, and be sure you know what they're, they're listening to. So the question is, from what I understand, the Catholic Church teaches that abortion is always wrong because all life is sacred and needs to be protected from conception until death. I accept this teaching as an important principle, but I think it is wrong not to allow the state to carry out an abortion if a woman wants it in rare circumstances, such as if a woman has been raped or will, or is almost certainly going to die if an abortion isn't carried out. I feel angry when I see that the church will allow for the wrongdoing of killing in war, but it won't offer the same exceptions to women in the situations I have described. Although abortion is always a wrong act like war, I believe that it can be justified under these rare and distressing circumstances. Does the church allow me to do this? So, Father, Father Colin, what would, you, what would you like to say about this question? Yes, it's a very, very important and delicate question. My first comment is that the anger over the Supreme Court's ruling in the States and the sort of overturning of Roe versus Wade um, has polarized people into those who are 
for abortion and then those on the extreme right who are against abortion. I am in no way on the extreme right, but I am basically against abortion, just as I am basically against war. And I do agree that the church has not been um, equally vigorous in its uh, um, campaign for peace as it has been on its campaign for the pro-life um, cause. So I personally would be against abortion precisely because of the uh, vulnerability of the unborn child. There are huge, huge issues around that, and I'm very much um, a supporter of what you might call the women's movement in general, and therefore find myself in a, an awkward position because being against abortion is, off, is as I say, often seen as, as kind of right-wing, and not my worst enemy would accuse me of being anything like right-wing. Um, and I'm very much uh, against war. Catholic moral theology does discuss issues of uh, what we call double effect and, and that sort of thing. I think is that something you're an expert on, Toby? Um, but, uh, I can I can speak a little bit about that. Yes, but, uh, yeah. but um, and I'm it's not particularly my scene. I'm more a sort of scripture and theology person in a, in a more general way. But um, certainly the Catholic Church doesn't. Uh, doesn't say there is no problem ever. Um, and the whole issue of good order in society uh, suggests that there should be some kind of, um, of, of way in which abortion um, is not done in backstreet uh, clinics and that sort of thing. Um, so that the church also teaches there should be good order in society. So in a way, the instincts of the questioner are, are pretty sound, I think. Um, but we do need to, uh, to promote a culture of life. Uh, I'm very much against uh, anyone having nuclear weapons. And I think you could almost say now that the church, uh, in both in papal statements and in other statements, has moved to uh, saying that nuclear weapons are a no-no. Um, that wasn't always the case, but I think that things have moved over the years against nuclear weapons because you can't possibly see them as part of a culture of life at all. Um, but obviously we're talking about the culture of life which cares for the unborn and uh, I think we need to think of how, what an important thing it is to make babies. Um, to put it, um, to put it soft, uh, blunt, bluntly in a way, uh, making love and making babies uh, are not absolutely the same thing because um, uh, people, when people have sex, they don't necessarily um, conceive uh, right off, but uh, at every time, otherwise we'd be, we'd be in a pretty pickle. But um, the, uh, the preciousness of bringing life into the world is very, very important. And it's certainly important, perhaps, to distinguish between being pro-life and pro-birth. Um, certainly, I am pro-birth, um, but what's more important is that, that the children born should be born into a life-giving situation. 
and where there is where there is desperate poverty, where there has been rape, where there uh, is this dilemma over the life of the mother or of the child, then um, a, a, a civilized society will have certain exceptions in place and so forth. And the church would not necessarily condone um, any particular abortion, but would condone the idea of there being um, a, uh, a good order so that when situations arise, people can um, choose the right thing. It's a woman's right to choose right. Um, and, you know, inevitably, one's going to upset a lot of people um, because it's just been taken for granted for a long time in the West that um, abortion is a right for women um, and indeed for, for prospective parents very often. Um, so the important thing is to move forward both with promoting women's rights in a general way, uh, with promoting a care for all who are vulnerable uh, the elderly as well, and which begins to interest me a bit more since I turned 80. And uh, it's um, uh, very important that we, we promote a culture of life where the making love is, is a very precious activity and is part of a life-giving activity. So I think I'll, I'll stop there. I've probably dissatisfied loads of people, but um, I do think I do very much... Uh, appreciate the sensitivities of the person asking the question, and, and I think it's a, um, a decent, a very decent question, if I can put it that way. Yeah. I'm just going to go to, to one thing which the, the questioner hasn't asked, um, first of all, just because I think it's a useful thing for, for Catholics to bear in mind when they're talking about um, pro-life issues, and it's just a, an old thing from my sort of legal background where we you know, people used to say difficult cases make bad law. And so it's one important thing to say that we shouldn't derive our principles from really, really difficult situations. Rather, we, we bring our principles to the difficult situation and see how the principle works through that. So whenever I'm talking to, to somebody who is an advocate for the legalization of abortion and they say, but what about rape? I say to them, okay, if you're going to say that, are you arguing that abortion shouldn't be allowed in all other circumstances? Because if you're not, let's talk about the more normal circumstance where the mother, say, simply doesn't want the child as opposed to trying to, you know, work sense into this situation through a really difficult emotive um case but the question the questioner hasn't asked that and she um he or she is not um you know saying that the the principle of uh of no of no abortion is um is problematic now what um the the questioner does does raise and, and father connell alluded to is um in one situation the 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 doctrine of of double effect which is say if the if the mother's life is in is in danger is a termination of, of the pregnancy okay and here the the sort of the difference that we have to bear in mind is doing something in order to save the mother's life versus doing something for the purposes of ending the baby's life 
And it can sometimes be tragically be the case that in order to save the mother's life, we have to do something which will end the baby's life. But the important thing about the sort of the idea of, of double effect is that I'm doing the action to save life and tragically the ending of an of another life is a is an outcome of that action um and so i can it, it doesn't mean that i don't know that the baby is is going to die but rather my primary intention for doing this thing is not that the baby should die but rather that the mother should survive and so there's there's an important dis- distinction there it is also important to point out that the the number of cases where we actually have to um terminate the baby's life in order to preserve the life of the mother is much much smaller than the kind of the general sort of debate around abortion sometimes gives gives the impression um if you look at actually in in countries which don't allow um don't allow abortion then one would expect um, maternal um, mortality rates to be much, much higher if it were the case that lots of mothers will die if they're not allowed an abortion. It's not That's not the case, actually. And, and countries that don't allow abortion tend to actually have even higher than average um, sort of maternal survival rates um, for childbirth. But to deal with the the other aspect of of the question, which is, you know, what if the woman has been raped, but say her her life is in no danger through through carrying the the baby to to term? And here, first of all, you just have to state the most enormous compassion and, uh, and... sort of heart going out to a woman in that situation because it's a dreadful situation to find yourself in because rape is a is a complete counter signal to everything that sex is about because sex is about the complete gift of myself to another the 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 ecstatic love of 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 the trinity is is in some ways modeled in in sex where i I make a, a donation of all that I am to the other person, including my fertility. And in rape, that has what should be a gift has been stolen. What should be a gift has been been stolen, and that's so so tragic. But the reality of the dignity and and the sacredness of the child within the mother's womb is not changed by the circumstances of the conception of that child we have to we have to re- remember remember that and it's not the child's fault that it was conceived in circumstances outside of outside of love and then we have to remember that that our choices are, are also always bigger than 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 just me because to have an abortion in, in certain circumstances has an effect on the society that we live in. And to have abortion in these circumstances, to say, yes, this is okay then, 
also says that in certain difficult circumstances, the 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 value of of life of life is 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 reduced, and that can then become an excuse and and part of producing a culture whereby we say, okay, people who cause us real difficulty, people who cause us real emotional turmoil, um, that actually we don't have to do everything we possibly can to love them and allow them to, 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 to flourish. And we start to sort of caveat the dignity of every human life. And once we introduce caveats, it's just a question of how far these caveats sort of go. Um, you know, we do open a, a certain floodgates. And so the, the, the mother who's conceived through through rape has actually the possibility to be such a powerful example of of love to say that where there was where there was hatred and where something was stolen i will respond with with love and with continuing to give give the gift of the life of life and i know that's not easy i know that's very very difficult but I hope that that our question might at least be able to see the the beauty of such a response. But then also the necessity, as as Father Colin mentioned, of kind of all of society getting behind that woman, so giving her good opportunities for 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 adoption if that's what she desires, or good opportunities such that she doesn't bring that child into into situations of of like incredible poverty, and so. We do need to make sure that we become a pro-life culture and not just pro-life around the circumstances of conception and, and birth. And just the, the final point I would say is that I've increasingly found myself describing myself as pro-life and pro-choice. And I don't mean pro-choice in the way that most pro-choice campaigners mean it, but simply because all the women who have come to see me about having had an abortion they've all described the situation as feeling that they had no choice and that's the terrible thing where when a woman wants to bring a life into the world but feels that she doesn't have the choice to be able to say yes to to that life and so whenever we have um sort of you know day for life in the church in a collection or somebody speaking i speak about the responsibility of all of us to enable women to say yes to the to the to the gift of, of the, to the gift of life. That was a pretty um, heavy question. I, I I hope that that what Father Colin and I have have said is is of some help. I don't know, if, Father Colin, if there's anything you wanted to add after what I've said. Um, no, thanks very much, Toby. I was very moved by by your words. Um, we are, as you say, both pro-life and pro-choice, but in a, uh, a typically uh, gospel, um, paradoxical way. Yeah. Now we've got a, a, a few more questions to um, to to go through. Before I think we we might go with a slightly um, lighter question um, next, and then after that question, we might go to. Go to some some music and also invite um, any any callers who have a question to phone in. But the 
the question that we'll we'll do before we uh, go to some music is could you share with us something about the part of your ministry that you love best why and for me i would say the answer to this has been um the astonishing variety of people who who i get to meet um i used to be a lawyer and uh lawyers tend to just hang around with other lawyers and, and, and doctors. That that seems to be the reality of it. And I like other lawyers and I like the doctors. Um, but now I just meet such an extraordinary variety of people and I'm invited into really privileged, intimate moments in their in their life. The the baptisms, the the funerals, the the marriages, the the time of crisis and and to be able to to bring not just sort of Toby into those situations, but but something of the of the Christ whose whose name I I claim to to come in and who I've been sort of configured to by the great gift of, of priesthood. That's such a joy, even when it's a very sad situation. Um, it's a real real privilege. So I would say it's the it's the variety of people and the, and the situations in their lives that I that I get to come into. Yes, mine is very similar, really, Toby. It, it's it's the people you meet. Um, at the same time, it, it um, it's just doing the routine things that a priest does. I mean, so-called routine, which is, for instance, saying mass, because saying mass is, is an incredible privilege, and it's just a most beautiful thing. Um, and to be able to bring the presence of Christ in amongst people um and and to share that uh, with with others that that is um just so beautiful but as you say it's the variety of people whom one meets in times of need in times of joy um it's often the case i'm sure you find too toby that um in the same day you may be involved in preparations for a wedding and in preparations for a funeral or doing a wedding and doing a funeral um and we, we meet people in all sorts of uh, circumstances. And just hearing confessions, um, I find now uh, my hearing is not very brilliant. And, and obviously when people are going to confession, they tend to speak rather softly. Um, but I uh, listen as hard as I can and pick up a sense anyway of what people are saying. And now that I'm not involved directly in a parish, um, uh, I've, the proportion of, of my hearing of confessions has gone up within my life. And I don't mean the number of confessions, but simply the proportion of my life that is um, hearing confessions rather than doing other pastoral things like preparing uh, people for a funeral or for a wedding. Um, and uh, it, it's such a privilege just to be with people. And I've become increasingly aware of the fact that people who come to confession are expressing hope. They're saying, I'm not hopeless. Things are not hopeless. It's worth coming to confession. I feel awful. I feel embarrassed. And therefore, very often, because of the embarrassment, people do speak extremely softly. And I don't, I don't sort of sit there saying, speak up, speak up, uh, because <laughs> you just don't do that. Um, uh, but I, I listen as patiently and as, uh, as sensitively as I can. And um, just that sharing with people in the uh, journey towards God is, is such a privilege. 
Um, at the same time, I, as a Dominican, I love preparing for sermons or doing the sort of studies which um, prepare you. Today, I, I have, was saying Mass uh, in Cambridge, where I was presiding at the Mass, and it was for St. Bonaventure. So I read some of St. Bonaventure yesterday and found it an incredibly moving experience. So um, the, the intellectual work, if you like, of, um, of preparing to speak was, uh, is, is, is an important part of, of my life too. So uh, it's not either people or books, it's books read with a view to sharing uh, what wisdom one can find with people um, but sharing their life journey. Um, whenever someone asks me to be a spiritual director, I said, well, I'm very non-directive as a director, but I do like to think of our sharing a journey. So people who come and want to chat with me are uh, invited to share their journey with me, and I share some of mine with them too. So it's this sharing in the journey, I think, which is the um, the best part of ministry. Amen to, to, all, to all of that. Absolutely. And so we, we might just move to uh, another music break now and, and give anybody a, an opportunity to, to call in who, who, would, who would like to. Perhaps you have another question. Perhaps something has been sort of unclear in, in what we say. I'm always conscious that, you know, I want to, to give the, 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 the full teaching of the, the magisterium of the church on any given issue but but sometimes in in discussing the the more difficult applications of that your your words aren't as clear as um as you want them to be so if there's some clarification that you would like um you know feel free to to ask but do know that that our our intention is to to give you the magisterium of the church but to to bring it into into the the difficult and, and messy circumstances of of life Thank you so much, Father Toby. Um, if you would like to call in, the number is 01-223-375-564. You've heard how insightfully and eloquently Father Toby and Father Colin have answered the questions we've already received this morning. But do give a ring during the music break if you have a question you would like to ask live on air. And this is Precious by April Shipton. Just to 
So you're listening to Questions of Faith with Father Colin and Father Toby, and you were just listening to um, a beautiful piece of music there called Precious. I can't remember who it was by, but I, I think th- that would be a really beautiful piece of music to to listen to in, in prayer and to uh, and to know that God speaks all those words to you. And so to just listen to that song and know that, that God is speaking you those words to you telling that you are precious and also about the preciousness of of those who are around you so we've probably got time for for one more question um we'll carry some of the others over that we haven't had time to answer to today particularly on the beatific vision which is a a big question and i'd like to do justice to so maybe we'll have that next week but one more for today is should all teachers in catholic schools be practicing Catholics, and I'll I'll ask Father Father Colin to, to have a first go on that, please. Yeah, my simple answer is uh, not necessarily. Um, I was chair of governors of a Catholic school for about twenty five years, and then just on the governing body, when I managed to get myself booted out of being chairman um, for another few years, and not all of our teachers were. Catholics, uh, we would obviously insist that they appreciate the Catholic ethos and um, are aware of the Catholic faith. Um, there have even been some non-Catholic teachers who have been extremely good at helping to prepare children for their first communion um, and haven't put a foot wrong as far as, as what they have taught the children. So. Um, if we absolutely insisted that every single teacher in every single Catholic school was a practicing Catholic, I think we'd be a bit short of teachers, quite honestly. Um, but we must insist, obviously, that the Catholic faith is the basis for the school. The Catholic ethos is also the basis um, and that all teachers are sharing in the, the values that the Catholic faith um, promotes. So, yeah, short answer, no, not all need to be, but there should be um, a strong Catholic um, uh, element. And we've always insisted, obviously, that that heads and deputy heads, I'm talking mainly about primary schools, but it will be the same um, in any school, really. Heads and deputy heads should be uh, practicing Catholics and um, set that tone um, but many other non-Catholic teachers I've found have been absolutely excellent and very good um, promoters of the Catholic teaching and ethos of the school. 
Yeah, it's um the 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 one of the final points that, that Father Colin raised there is just very very true that if all teachers in Catholic schools had to be practicing Catholics, we'd have to shut down about eighty percent of our of our schools <laughs> yes. straight away. And um, I I think you. You need a, a certain critical mass within within in the school in order in order to form form the culture, and also as 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 Father Colin was saying, to in in certain positions having a practicing Catholic is is indispensable. For example, head teacher, and I would I would also say that you would probably want your your head of RE to be a, a practicing Catholic. But. Uh, Catholic schools are supposed supposed to be missionary because they're a part of the church and the church, as Pope Francis says, and, and um, St. John Paul II used to say, the church is missionary by her nature. And that missionary I, mission, I think, is not just external, but also internal. And so I think Catholic schools should have pupils in them who, are, who, who aren't Catholics in order that we can preach the the faith to these people in our schools, not sort of coerce them into becoming Catholic, but accepting non-Catholic pupils is part of the the missionary nature of a Catholic school, and so I think is also having a a certain number of of non-Catholic teachers, and it's very very beautiful when you sometimes hear about um, non-Catholic teachers who who say they explicitly wanted to work in a Catholic school because they recognized that there was something different about the culture in this place. And I know that's certainly the case. You, you get a number of Muslims who, who seek yes. out the, to teach in a, in a Catholic school because here they know is, is, is a place that has, you know, convictions um, that, that, that manifest themselves in, in all aspects of of the of the school and so i think that's sort of quite beautiful and and uh and quite moving and, and part of the 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 proper missionary element of the of the church um i would love you know if o- if over time um you know all the all the teachers in the school became catholic because we were we were preaching well and then we opened new schools and recruited more non-catholic teachers and carried on the process again and a Again and again, um, uh, but I I live with that in the kind of probably in the theological virtue of of hope um, at the moment yes. as opposed to the, the the present the present reality. Um, but our our network of schools that we have is uh, kind of such a such a gift, but I think also a, a certain sort of sleeping giant that needs to be needs to be to be roused to to be all all that it could be. Yeah. Uh, can I add to that, Toby, your your, um, your point about Muslim teachers? I mean, we always had a lot of Muslim children in the school, and their parents loved sending their children to a Catholic school because they realised that they were taught faith. Um, and th- there was no none of this nonsense of our um, saying, oh, we mustn't mention Christmas. I mean, the Muslim parents would have been as enthusiastic about celebrating Christmas as anybody else. And they they were very much threw themselves into the life of the school. Um, so that, that was a, a very positive thing in, in our school as well. Very few Hindus, but a lot of, of, of Muslims um, and one or two people from different religions or none. Um, but the Muslims certainly appreciated the, um, the, the 
clarity, really, of the Catholic faith being uh, promoted because they wanted a faith school for their children. Yeah, and actually, on, on that note, it was, it was an Anglican boy at my school who first suggested to me going to, to daily mass, which is something that had never occurred to me. I never would have dreamt of doing that in a, in a million years. And yet he suggested it. He was a good friend. And uh, and I started going, and uh, and I would say that that changed 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 my life really. Yeah, um, look, look, see where that landed you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Look at the trouble that got me into. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful trouble. So I'm I'm grateful to him. Yeah. Um, yes. and that that feels like a, a a good note to um to bring things to a to a close. So I'd I'd like to thank you all for 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 listening with us to invite you to to email him with with further questions but thank you for for listening to us and and we'll end with a with a prayer as we say glory be to the father and to the son son, and and the holy spirit as it was in the beginning beginning, is now and ever shall be be world without without end. end amen amen